The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark 13, verses 14 through 31. The word of God speaks to us like this. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be so, such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the very word of God to us. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you and turn around and see faces. Some I know, a lot of them I know, and others I'm meeting for the first time. Uh, we're in a long walk through Mark, and we're reading Mark with the idea of saying, just let's see Jesus. Let's see Jesus, who he is, not who the culture says he is, not what uh, Christian marketing would say he is, just what does the Bible say about Jesus? And we're trying to take a look at that. And honestly, what we've seen is that Jesus surprises again and again. So for those who are here with us for the first time, I just want to I just want to say thank you for being here. Again, it's a, it's a real treat to have you. You could not have chosen a better day. We're talking about abomination of desolation. <laughs> and so it's fantastic for you to be here for that. Uh, two things around this. It, it, Jeff is correct to tell you it's been louder in our kids' ministry right now uh, for a number of reasons. But one, if you hear kids today, it's because we're discipling them, and they're reading about abomination and desolation as well. And so they'll be screaming and gnashing of teeth, all sorts of things. The second thing is, as we read this, and I'm sitting here just standing here for the reading of God's word as well, I, I read a passage that's truly scary stuff. And, and it hit me different when, when the person reading it today is also pregnant. You're like, God, these are, these are real stories that you're, you're talking about and real things that happened. And so what we want to do are be real people today. 
We don't want to show up and go through the motions. We don't want to just show up and go through uh, religious sit-up straight-ism. We don't want to be performative in any way. We just want what we sang earlier, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And so I I want to pray for you. I, I desperately want you to pray for me. We want to do work today. We've got some heavy lifting. I'm, just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. We've got some heavy lifting to do. And, and I want you to join me in it. We've got to kind of put our thinking caps on. Uh, but I think if we walk through this together, if the Lord would meet us today, uh, that we come out of this hopefully trusting him more. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We need you. We need you desperately. Uh, It's so easy to come into a church service and just try to clean up our own act. What we need you, God, is to, to wash us clean. Meet us with fresh grace today, God. Help us to understand your word, to see you for who you are, this king who changes everything. And so, God, may we experience your, your kindness today. May we hear your warning today. May we take seriously your word today. Would you form us and reform us in areas in which we've just gone astray? Help us to see the areas that we're not even aware of right now, God. And, and Lord, we're begging, we're pleading for grace to trust you more today. Help it to be more than just words we sing the cry of our heart. So, Father, we pray these things. Your precious name, amen. Let me start right here. We've got a bunch of slides today, but let me start here with one. Someone smart said these words. The business of church is to remember the future. Remember the future. Not merely to remember that there is to be a future, but mysteriously to make the future really present. Hear that, mysteriously to make the future really present. It's interesting as we approach a passage like this, we absorb so much from our culture around a passage like this. There's there's so much of it that that just almost like we, we get soaked into every bit of this being future And yet what we've got to recognize is context of what's happening here. The context of where Jesus is, what moment this is in the Jesus story, and that he's speaking to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. There's some past here that we've got to recognize. There's a a future aspect too, specifically for them, but in the abstract for us as well. But there's a present We've got to have all three, right? We've got to have past, future, and present because we live in the here and the now. We need all three of those. And this here and this now is, is, is part history lesson. It's part future longing. It's part warning. And it's part, it's part planning for the today. So what we've got is this passage that is a lot of temple talk. 
There's a lot going on around the temple that is literal and figurative. There's a lot of work that's being done with the specific temple in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of sacrifice talk. There's a lot of talk around, around the sacrifice, what's happening at the altar and what's happening in there. But there's also the larger, like the greater eternal sacrifice that is made for us. All that stuff is being mixed in here. And we, we need to think past We need to think future, and we need to think present in the here and now. We want to watch out for those things as they come up. Last week, what we had was Jesus and the disciples stepping out of the temple, the great temple. The disciples turn around and say to him, they say, look how great these buildings are. Look how incredible these buildings are. And Jesus Jesus says something really prophetic to them. So he says he, he has a prophetic moment in which he, he steps out of it. The presence of God leaving the temple in this moment, the, the presence of God leaving it, moving to the hill across from the temple, the Mount of Olives. And then he shocks them by saying, you see that great building? It's coming down. It's coming down. He gives them this warning. He says all of it right there. And he tells them in the warning, he says, you're going to see all sorts of things happening. Family's going to turn on families. Things are going to be said. It's going to get really rough. Be alert. Stay alert for it. Be warned in all of these things. And then he gives this picture. He says, these are but birth pains. These are but birth pains. But the tone shifts here today. It shifts when we get to 14. We get right into this moment and everything kind of changes. You'll feel it right as we read it. But notice with me how the mood changes. We'll pick it up, verse 14, right here. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. Let the reader understand. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, verses five through 13 particularly are like, hey, be warned, stay alert, be, be at watch for these things. And something changes, the mood changes when we get to 14 and he says, run. Run. When you see these things, you get up and you run. So we've got to do some work here. What is he talking about? What happens? What is it talking about? And what do they need to be paying attention to for Jesus to shift from be alert, these are birth pains, to when you see this happen, get up and go. You've got to go. Flee to the mountains, it says. What's he talking about? Well, we, gotta, we, we need to pay attention that this entire chapter of Mark 13 borrows from and points back to the Old Testament. We can't understand this. We, we cannot understand what Jesus is saying here apart from looking at some Old Testament prophecy that is taking place in there. And it helps us to understand things because Jesus isn't just using some like, Marvel superhero term for abomination of desolation shows up on the scene and now we have the climax to the movie. Jesus is not just doing that. He's actually using biblical language right here that these people would have understood. 
You see, these people were raised in what we call the Old Testament. They were raised in this. They, they grew up memorizing this. They grew up understanding this. They grew up with Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel. They grew up with these books as a regular part of their reading, as a regular part of what was being taught. And so this is very much it. So Jesus names abomination of desolation that something or someone is going to show up where it isn't supposed to be and bring horrific actions upon it. And he's referencing something. So what is he pointing to? Daniel chapter 11 uses this terminology and Jesus is using it. Here's what he says in chapter 11. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple. Profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Now just think about that. Here's temple. This is where for the Israelites, the nation of Israel, these are the people that have stepped forth. The very presence of God has met them in this place. And now it's not, just, it's not just in the room or in the temple. It's that the presence right here that meets at what? The sacrifice. All the way back to the beginning. The sacrifice is being profaned. Jesus is drawing upon this language in Daniel 11. But it isn't just Daniel 11. Daniel 12 goes into this. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So this is where we, we have absorbed so much of our cultural teaching around this. We, we have yet to absorb so much of the biblical teaching around it. We get so much of our cultural teaching around it, and, and we just wipe away. It says 1,290 days are going to take place, and yet we read these things. We read Daniel, or we read Mark 13, and we just assume or we project on it that every bit of this is future. But what comes to these passages or something, in B.C. 168, the prophecy of Daniel comes true. And an army comes into Jerusalem under the leadership of Antiochus Epiphanes and he starts to sacrifice pigs on the altar. On the altar of God, these ritually unclean animals are brought in to the temple and sacrificed. They tear down aspects of it. And so what we get from this text right here, what we get from Jesus using the term abomination of desolation, again, it isn't Thanos showing up in the cloud to do something. This is Jesus drawing on, on Daniel specifically, building off this to make his point and to make something that... This is horrific, and be on guard. Watch out for these things. Jesus is building on this imagery from Daniel and saying, when you see this, get out. Get out. I want to pause right here for just a second and, and remind you what we said last week. We gave a bit of an advertisement in the middle of it. We, re we recognize that there are all sorts of opinions around this. 
We recognize that this is confusing stuff, what we're talking about right here in this chapter. And so we want to do more work around it, not less. We're not trying to just overly simplify it. We're not trying to just say, hey, if you grew up in a different spot, you just have to deal with what we're saying. No, we want to have conversations around everything. We want to have conversations around it. But we want to be led by the text and contextually. So what we've put together is that on the 23rd of March, we've invited pastor, author, theologian, Sam Storms to join us for uh, just a full-on, full-throated conversation around these things. And we, we were bringing them in. I think we have a slide for this, by the way. I think we have a slide. Sam's coming in. And we'll do this at our downtown congregation. But th- it's an evening with Sam Storms around eschatology. So uh, just be thinking about that. On March 23rd, we want to step into all of these pieces and do it. And, and I bring that up because I, I want to read to you from one of Sam's books around this. I want to read to you from this. When Jesus is building upon Daniel's language here, he's not just pulling words out of it. He's not just talking about some made-up thing to scare people. He's actually being really specific. Sam says this in Kingdom Come, his book, on page 240, he says the most likely identification is Titus in the armies of Rome. While the city of Jerusalem was still burning the soldiers brought their legionary standards into the temple precincts and offered sacrifices there. Think about this. This is the Roman army coming in, bringing their eagles and standards into this space and offering sacrifices to Caesar on the temple altar of God. Declaring Titus to be victor. The idolatrous representations of Caesar and the Roman eagle on the standards could have constituted the worst imaginable blasphemy to the Jewish people. See, Mark 13 is less a prediction of the end of the world and far more a prediction of what they need to be looking at. Remember, he says, this generation is going to experience this. This generation is going to uh, suffer. This is, uh, many in Jerusalem would have wished it was the end of the world. Many of them would have wished this was all of it. But this is what he's speaking to, what actually happens in AD 70. Now pick it up again with me in verse 15. We're in Mark chapter 13. Verse 15, and Jesus goes into some of the scarier sections of Scripture. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. During the birth pains, stay put, stay alert. But during these days, get out and run. Because it is going to be devastating, overwhelming, and horrific in ways that just normal words can't express. He goes on. It's like, Jesus, stop. He goes on, 
in those days there will be such tribulation, verse 19, as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect even. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. I just want you to pause with me right here for a second. I want you to pause and just recognize that we, we've soaked up so much of our culture around this. And we, 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 it, it, we like to think of this as entirely future for us even, for them for sure, but for us. But Jesus is standing right there in front of the temple. He's pointing to an actual physical place in space and time. And he's telling real human beings who are living in your generation this is going to come to pass, but those walls are coming down. If this were speaking of end time, second coming stuff, what is the hope in running? If this is speaking about the end of all days, who cares if it's winter or not? no other hope. Jesus is speaking to validate what is happening. To say, be warned, people. I am who I say I am. I am who I say I am. And this is a real thing. Be alert. Be ready. He's speaking to these people who are in our past, and he's speaking to those people, those disciples, about something that will be in their future. It's important for us to catch this, because that generation will live to those days, and they will catch it. But like, we've got, we ask ourselves, and this question comes up for all of us, like, how is it possible that he's talking in this language about something so great and, and it not be the end? How is, it, how is that even possible? A couple things I want to note real fast. Jesus saying, like, this is going to be horrific, and using language like this does not exclude that there will be more and worse things happening in the future. We know historically that there have been. We know that, that there are terrible things that have come and probably will come. We're living in a moment right now where we're all getting up and watching the news and seeing really ugly things. But let's not read into this and say, oh, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the Ukraine or he's talking about this or he's talking about Putin. No, that's not what's happening here in context. Jesus is speaking to a specific place and a specific people about a specific time. And it matters. It matters to them and it matters to us. The second thing that we need to catch is while Jesus doesn't, doesn't eliminate any other future tribulations in this, what we often miss is that this 70 AD sacking of Jerusalem is far worse than we give it credit for. It's far worse. And we're often people who just ignore history. We don't pay attention to history. It may have been a boring class that you went set through, but history matters to us. It matters that we understand what has happened, it matters that we understand what is being spoken of, and these things are huge. 
when Titus, the fourth general to show up to sack and destroy Jerusalem, he shows up and, and again, like the rest of them, he doesn't just cut off the food supply and the water supply, he poisons them. He shows up and surrounds this place to levels that are, are just almost unimaginable to us. Like the stories of this are, are legend. The story of the siege and, and, and war of Jerusalem is written by, by people who lived in the moment. Josephus writes about this, and he gives 200 pages to this. He gives 200 pages to what happened here. And the story is just altogether hero, or just horrific. Food had run out. People were eating leather. There's a, a really awful story that I, I'll just give you just the tiniest bit of. I mean, people were eating their own. A mother was found, had boiled her child to survive. Like the, just the level of suffering that is being expressed. They were, they were crucifying 500 people per day in this place. And they, just to give you some color around this, they, they ran out of wood for the crosses. For miles around, they ran out of wood for this place. The level of suffering and horrific, just horrific, just actions that were taking place by the Romans and people trying to survive this is off the charts madness. How do you describe it in just normal words? How do you describe what's happening here with just normal words? Well, he doesn't. The only way of doing justice is to speak in just this cosmic language of the prophets. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He speaks in verse 24, he says this, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds and the great power and glory and, and with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Jesus is using Old Testament language to describe what will happen in this place at this point. He's drawing specifically on a couple of spots. Isaiah 13 says this, for the stars of the heavens and their constellation will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it's rising and the moon will not shed its light. This, this came about. We know that Isaiah is prophesying of what would happen when Babylon came and sacked the city. Ezekiel gives this in, verse 30, or in chapter 32. I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a, I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. We know this happened. Egypt comes 
and tears the place up. But catch the language that is being used. The sun darkens. The sky closes. The stars will no longer give light to this. This is the Old Testament pattern of God working in history, and it's now being applied by Jesus, the Son of God. It's now being applied right here, and he's applying a specific passage from Daniel chapter 7. He's saying this. Here's what Daniel 7 verse 13 says. I I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion. Is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Just pause, take a breath with me for a second. We'll, we'll say, okay, we'll stop, with the, we'll stop with these Old Testament prophetic passages for a second. And I just want to, like, all of us come up for air in a second and think about what we've been talking about in Mark since the beginning. That we're talking about Mark, or, or in Mark, we're talking about Jesus. And who does he claim to be? A king. He's the king who has come. And this king has a king. And everything that we're reading right here is that this king comes, granted dominion and authority and reign from the ancient of days to the end. This king has come. And Jesus is standing outside of an earthly temple, an earthly kingdom, and he's saying, that's not your real hope. That's not your real hope. One commentator puts it this way. Jesus is using Daniel 7.13 as a prediction of that authority which he exercised when in AD 70, the Jewish nation and its leaders who had condemned him were overthrown and Jesus was vindicated as the recipient of all power from the ancient of days. Jesus exalted after his, death and, after his death and resurrection to receive his everlasting dominion will display it within the generation. See, the whole book of Mark is making this claim. And the whole story of Jesus has been telling and demanding a particular ending. Jesus didn't come to sit on an earthly throne because he has an eternal throne. Jesus didn't come overwhelmed by earthly buildings because he has an eternal kingdom in which he reigns. Jesus didn't come to just make people happy in the here and now and help their comfortable lives be more comfortable. No, Jesus reigns. He is Lord over all of it. Friends, if if that temple had stood If that temple had stood past that generation, then at best, Jesus would be a false prophet. And at worst, Jesus would be a liar. He'd be a liar. But if the temple was to be destroyed, as it was in AD 70, 
If the temple was to be destroyed and the, and the sacrifices were to be stopped, if the armies were to come in and the people of God who listened to the word of God heard his warning and paid attention, then what does that mean? Then he would be revealed to be who he said he is. That he's not only king, but he's the son of man. He's the son of man validating every word that he said. That he's one that can be trusted with every single promise that he has made. Those that are already completed and those that have yet to be completed. He is who he says he is. So many of us think that uh, the fall of Jerusalem in 87 doesn't have anything to do with us. It, it, it doesn't really matter. And some of that is because we don't really care. It doesn't affect us on the day-to-day. Or because we don't pay attention to history. But remember, we're a people who have to carry with us the past, whether we like to or not. And we're, we're also moving towards a future that the Bible speaks of. It does. It speaks of this promise. It speaks of it. And and I just want to be as clear as possible that the New Testament absolutely promises that Jesus will return at the end of history. It absolutely promises that. That we'll look at some of those next week. We get to do a a happier, more exciting look next week. But here Jesus is speaking specifically to the fulfillment of Daniel 7 and what will happen in Jerusalem. See, when we read this in context, when we read this passage in context and we say, God, help us to understand, we see the message that Jesus is giving. We see the message. We can recognize the warning that is being given. But even more than that, we see this loud and clear testimony of who Jesus is is that he's trustworthy, that you can believe him, that he isn't just some false prophet, that he isn't someone just saying nice, happy thoughts, that he actually speaks to what is happening, happen. None of us should be surprised. Like, the people here were not surprised. You see, we read this in chapters, and we have pages, and we go to this chapter and this verse. They didn't have it like that. They were living and walking this. And so Jesus on the Mount of Olives is sitting there with these people that have just come out of the temple. But at some point in that kind of spot, these these people are having a conversation with Jesus and he gives them a parable in for us what is the past in the previous chapter. In chapter 12, he gives a parable of a tenant and I won't go through all of it, but I just wanna simply draw your attention to what the parable of the tenant says. It says there's a landowner who has land. He has a kingdom, so to speak. He has all this stuff and he sends his servants to go and tell them the king. What do you have for the king? And they're like, no, 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 we don't want any of that with all the servants that get sent. And so here's what we'll do. We'll send the son. This is the story that Jesus says. The king sends his son. And what do the people do? They'll respond to the son, right? No, they're not going to respond to the son. Jesus tells them they're going to kill the son. They're going to kill the son. And what happens? Again, this is chapter 12, right before. 
what happens? What happens for these people in Jesus' parable? Well, what does the king do when they kill his son? He comes in judgment. That's the immediate context of what is being talked about. As Jesus, in this week, goes to the cross. We have this. They would understand it. And God, what we have in chapter 13, he loves the people enough to warn them, to tell them the truth, to send his son, that these things are actually going to happen, and you have to listen. Okay, so, so deep breath as we lay in this. What does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us? Well, this passage, ch- chapter 13, actually ends with another picture, another kind of land agricultural picture, and he says this in verse 28. He says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. We're back to a warning. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. And truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You see, this generation, this generation right here that rejects Jesus, that will put him on a cross and kill him, this generation has to be the last one until this judgment comes. The judgment that Jesus is speaking about right here. And why? You have to say why. Well, because if if there were more that would come, then they would need another prophet warning them. They'd need another one coming to them. But once the Father has sent the Son There's no one greater to send. There's no one greater to send. To reject the son is to miss your last chance. So what does this have to do with us today? Like Jesus is speaking in a specific context to a specific people who experienced a traumatic and terrible judgment right there for rejecting the son. But the Bible is really clear that our only hope in this world and the next is through receiving this son, Jesus. There's no hope apart from it. And the warning for these people in this moment is the same for the warning for us in our moment, is that there is a judgment coming that all of us will face, that there is this king, and he has a kingdom, and he changes everything. And what we're told at the end is that one day, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow before this king, Jesus. So as we read this story from the past and it points to things in the future, we we also see that this whole Bible is one story. It is one story about this king and his goodness and his his love of people and work in this world. And we get that in the letter to Hebrews tells us something really important here. It speaks about so much of what we're talking about. In chapter 12, he says this, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. 
And at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful for that. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe for our God, our God is a consuming fire. This warning in Mark chapter 13 is specifically for these people. But it has a double focus in that the same warning applies to us. Because this God is a consuming fire. But praise God, he didn't just leave us to figure out our own way. He didn't just leave us to do this. We've got this warning that absolutely tells us that there is something scarier than the abomination of desolation. That is this God who is a consuming fire. And yet what we know in the week to come in our, in our text, in, the, in this Easter week of Jesus going to the cross, we know who he is and what he's done. We know that this Jesus took all the judgment for those who would trust and believe in him. We know that he took all the humiliation, he took all the horror, he took all the pain for those who would trust and believe. And while the temple will be torn down and the sacrifices are stopped, they're only stopped because there is a true and a better temple and sacrifice. And that is Jesus. And so for all the areas in which I try to make my own temples, in all the areas in which I try to make myself something, in all the areas in which I try to clean myself up, and I don't think I'm alone because uh, there's a lot of people in here, and, and for all the ways in which we try to have our own little kingdoms and our own little stuff, and we try to sit up straight and say, look, God, there's no visible sin. You can receive me, right? All of it will be burned up by this consuming fire. And the warning for us today that there's hope. There is hope, and it is only and always in Jesus. Why? Why? The temple was torn down. The sacrifices stopped. An abomination of desolation showed up. But Jesus became that sacrifice. Always and forever. And so this king reigns today. This king also calls today and says, be warned and follow after me. He says, stop trying to muscle your way into to being okay. Try, stop trying to outrun all of this. Stop trying to, to do it by your own effort and start to surrender. Surrender yourself to this king and his kingdom. 
Stop staring at yourself in selfies or in a mirror. Stop, stop trying to see if you look the part or if you're good enough or pretty enough or, or, or all the parts that the world needs. Stop staring at yourself and look to this Jesus. Stop angling and stop pretending and trust this God. And stop trying to build your own temple and your own altar when only one will do. Will you bow your heads with me?